Hey, this is Freddie coming to you from Leslieville, Toronto, uh, art student in uh, so-called Toronto, Ontario, Canada. What really I think we need to, like, what's important about this area is how we consider the land either occupied or vacant when it really isn't and how we're working to renaturalize it. Like, what kind of relationship that means between the like construction carbon footprint of renaturalizing it using machines and you know simply kind of letting nature take its course you know like how can we even like broaden it to like how waterways have developed across Canada here even in the maritimes with their bustling mariner sealing and fishing industries and just kind of make our relationship with the water better Um, and how much contact that actually involves uh, human-wise. Hello, and welcome to Dawn River Radio. I'm Sunita Prasad. I'm a member of Mari Liberum, along with your usual host, Dylan Gautier. I'm chiming in this week to bring you some very special interviews that Dylan conducted with artists working on the waterfront. We spoke with Black Speculative Arts Movement Canada about their piece Olamina at Aitken Place Park, as well as Jay Havens about his Peacemaker's Canoe in Toronto's Harbour Square Basin. Both of these temporary public sculptures evoke stories from the past to project visions of the future, each in a unique way. Let's start with Black Speculative Arts Movement Canada. The Black Speculative Arts Movement is a global community of intellectuals from the African diaspora that seek to present, promote, and support human-centered speculative imagination. Dylan spoke with the co-leaders of BSAM Canada about their tribute to Black Joy, Octavia Butler, and the healing powers of the water deity, Olamina. I think this should work. I have a new, a new audio setup, but it seems to be working here with my speaker. All right. So good morning. Um, so I'm here with Nico Taylor and Queen Kukoi from um, BSAM Canada, Black Speculative Arts Movement Canada. Really happy to have you both uh, with me here on this podcast. To start, do you want to just go ahead and um, introduce yourselves? Yeah, of course. Um, so I'm Nico and I'm one of the co-leads of BSAM Canada. I'm Queen Kukoi. I'm also co-lead of BSAM Canada. Amazing. And how many um, how many people are in the collective? How many people do you work with um, through BSAM? Well, BSAM is a global movement, but BSAM Canada has, I would say around like maybe five to 800 artists that we've worked with from 2016 to now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been creating temporary sculptures, doing artist talks and panels and um, getting collaborators together to create short films so it's been a really really exciting ride for us that's amazing so how did you um come to be the first uh artists in residence with waterfront toronto i believe if i'm not mistaken you're kind of their inaugural yes yes we are exciting at the time that we saw that call out the protests uh due to the murder of george floyd the these global protests were happening and there was just a lot of pain in the Black community. And so we had just curated an event with the Bentway for their It's All Right Now campaign, where we gathered um, nine Afro-Indigenous and Black artists to create messages of hope um, and uplift. We knew that we needed healing spaces and we saw this residency and thought this was a fantastic way 
to contribute to that because we see the water as a healer and being by the water can be so peaceful and restoring. And we're also looking at access and who has access to this space and this, this healing source. And a lot of it, it, it doesn't really cater to our population. So we wanted to make a presence there. And so that's what we proposed to create some hope, but also show off the beauty of Black artists and Black cultural arts. And we're so happy that we were able to get this residency because the things that we were able to do went even further beyond what we first speculated we could bring into this space. So it's been really beautiful. And the projects that came out of it are so meaningful to us um, that they're things that we're going to carry forth and keep you know, presenting and, and working on in different ways. I was going to say a prime example of what, you know, that exemplifies what we really wanted to see happen along the waterfront is Olamina. And Olamina is a six foot installation of a water deity that um, we got to first have at Atkins Place Park. And as partners with uh, the Confronting Anti-Black Racism Unit, one of their recommendations is to make more accessible spaces and welcoming spaces for the Black community. With Olamina, we were able to see our community come from all different places and come to the waterfront where they really didn't see themselves visible before. And now it opened all this dialogue through African, Afro-Indigenous, Yoruba culture, Afro-Caribbean culture, being visible on the waterfront and being able to have conversation about this interconnectedness of identity and culture. This is a, an incredible um, sculpture and quite a feat. And I, you know, con- congrats to you for, um, for bringing this into, into being and having it, you know, exist in, in public space. I'm really curious how, you know, did you know you were going to do this piece when you started residency? How did it, uh, how did you come upon the, the idea for this sculpture? It's a funny story, actually. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, you, can, you can start it off, uh, Nicole. So, well, the Earth Seeds Project is based on Octavia E. Butler's parable series. So within that series, there's a philosophy called Earthseed that the main character, Lauren Oya Olamina, um, comes up with, which basically looks at change. And we were going through a lot of change, so it fit in perfectly. So it's the idea that, you know, change is the only constant. Change is inevitable. And how do we work through um, this experience of climate change, degradation, oppression, et cetera, and come out of it better and stronger and building something with our communities. And at first we were thinking of creating a living wall. So that was what was in our mind. We were going to create this living wall that we would have community come and bring plants and contribute to. And as they contributed plants to the structure, it would create something. And then pandemic restrictions hit. Yeah. So we have five pillars that we live by and we tried to integrate um, those things into everything I would do. So taking care of the mind, body and energy, global citizenship, community economics, developing critical vo- vocabulary um, and cultivating interdisciplinary insight, which has a lot to do with like STEAM. So science, technology, engineering, arts and math. Um, we also, inclusive of math, include f- metaphysics. So when we're thinking about, okay, what can we do? Because now we clearly have to make um, an insulation that's more passive. But without losing that vision of interconnectedness, because we know that 
while in this present time, you know, we're not able to make interactive art that it's not always going to be like this. So as futurists, we were thinking, how will we be able to interact with this piece in the future? Our plan exchange, we're still going to do our, you know, living wall, but let's create an embodiment of this water deity, like this meaningful design behind change and and connection um, that like water also symbolizes. Nicole actually came up with the idea for her face. So her face is blue. Um, what what is the name of the stone again? Druzy. So there's this Druzy stone that like symbolizes so beautifully like how like the water looks when like the light hits it and it just glistens. Um, and then we wanted to have this connection between water and earth. So we wanted to have her hair symbolize like plant life. We were able to do like a, a, a boxwood hedge with some topiary. And then she has this beautiful, it looks like a head wrap, but it doubles as shelving where you can still do this plant exchange and still have that energy exchange between community. It's so beautiful. And that gesture of um, putting, you know, kind of these openings of putting a, a space there for people to exchange and barter and leave something, um, I think is really, really a beautiful uh, aspect to this sculpture and really separates it from the idea of just having a kind of public art, you know, plop art kind of piece that sits there and doesn't do anything. And I'm also, you know, as you had kind of said, like I'm really interested too in how this connects with what's already you know, happening in Toronto, like these cultures um, that you're representing in this work, how all of that gets represented in Toronto on a daily basis, you know, in particular, the, the Yoruban kind of um, background for this, this work. Yeah. So there, there's really kind of three stories that are going on within this piece. One of which we've mentioned already, which is Octavia E. Butler's story. So the last name of the character is Olamina. So that's where Olamina got her name. Um, and then the main character also has Oya in her name, which is a Yoruba goddess. So we also took that on because Oya is, is so powerful and brings change with her because she's the goddess of thunder and the winds and can destroy things, but also help carve paths to move forward um, and bring people to their destination. And so we see Olamina doing that as a way of, you know, releasing hurt or pain that has been um, happening in the pandemic. And then um, we brought in folk tales from Afro-Caribbean um, diaspora. So Mami Wata, who is a spirit lives within the water and can travel through all bodies of water. So whether it's lake, the ocean, the river, but also within our bodies, within dreams, because we're mostly comprised of water. And she's someone who helps navigate life, um, death, and the hereafter. And we just, we wanted to incorporate her because she's such a significant figure in Caribbean folktales. And the way in which, like I said, she she appears in all bodies of waters. When you think about the way in which a lot of Afro-diasporic people have migrated or traveled or been forcefully removed, it's kind of seeing her as like a guardian who has always been there to help guide or lead or provide um, some solace. Yeah, and I just would like to add on that um, 
a huge part of how we view the water and how we purposefully view the water in this project as a connector instead of something divisionary. Because I think typically when people look at, you know, bodies of water, it's something that separates us from other spaces, but we chose to see it as something that connects us to communities. I was interested too in um, in bringing, and if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but um, Mami. Mami Wata. Mami Wata, back to Toronto. Thank you, Queen. Um, also think, you know, that, that this is um, kind of the story of this, these indigenous spiritual traditions and religious traditions of, of Africa that through globalization and triangle trade and exploitation that, that occurred with, you know, the creation of this diaspor- diasporic populations. I'm curious whether you've had response from, um, from First Nations or Indigenous groups that have identified or kind of seen the, their own um, indigenous traditions around water be kind of echoed in this work. And I know, Queen, you have some background in, in that as well. So I'm curious how that's played out. <laughs> yes, um, I'm really glad you asked that question because we actually had a film, have a film called Rain, which is about a non-binary Afro-Indigenous youth um, that learns these lessons through the water. So there's a Ongwe Homwe, which is Mohawk spirit, and an Afro-Caribbean spirit um, in this film that kind of acts as a force to help Rain understand their place in the world and their power in the world. And we really thought it was so important because our history and our future is so connected with the Indigenous community. Yeah, and when we did our launch for our residency, um, we had a panelist, Andrea Williams, who came on and, and talked to us about Lake Ontario and how in the beginning it was a gathering space um, and a very important space for a lot of Indigenous communities. And so we wanted to emphasize that. So we, we put Olamina there and she became a space in which people came to gather. And that's so important to focus on those connections because moving forward, um, And especially as we emerged out of this pandemic, we need to be together in rebuilding structures that benefit us in a more equitable way. Yeah, that's so key. And one thing that I keep coming up against in this project is the question around, you know, in kind of creating new new land and, you know, kind of creating a new river as they're speaking of the new kind of extension of the dawn, um, you know, what does it mean to do that in, um, you know, in unceded or occupied territory and who are the communities that are supposed to be kind of a part of that? Um, does it just go along to kind of re- remaking the same structures, the same institutional structures, the same kind of social um, uh, constraints that we live through today? Or, you know, is there a chance in making new, new, new space, new territory to open up kind of new directions? I think that um, we're just at the beginning stages of learning the expansiveness of the Don River project. But one thing that is integral to Nicole and myself is that the Indigenous community, the original stewards of the land, are a part of the decision-making process when it comes to anything that's happening along the waterfront, furthermore, <laughs> anything that's happening on land here recreating a more natural environment, more natural spaces for us to connect to is very important, but it's only as important as, you know, the leadership uh, that's in place and ensuring that the voices of the original people of the land are there. Yeah. It's important also to pay attention to the biodiversity of that area. And the only way to really do that is to speak to people who know the land 
they have to be involved in that development project. Um, it's so important to have them on board. Otherwise, you're just repeating the, the same mistakes. Are you really, you know, adding something new um, that will create to a, a richer history or legacy um, several years down the road? Or is it something that you're going to have to fix all over again? No, that's so that's so key. And I also wonder if you could talk a little bit more about, you know, the power of um, Afrofuturism and of the Black speculative arts movement as a kind of methodology or a way of working and thinking around, um, you know, where we are today and also where we, you know, where we can be or where we need to get to. Just the power of that of that idea. Afrofuturism empowers like Black stories, experiences, identities, histories, futures, and brings the stories to the forefront. Um, and it is that interconnectedness of our past and also seeing ourselves in our future that's integral for that understanding of our history to be able to place ourselves in the future. I think that in our community, we're connected to so much pain um, and while that is a part of our story, it's not our whole story. And with BSAM Canada and Black Speculation, one of our focuses specifically as Black Speculative Arts Movement is to also focus on joy and to center joy and ensure that joy is a part of our story so that we're not always having to be resilient. Mm-hmm. And I see Afrofuturism um, and Black speculative art. I really like the idea of hacking history, stories of people, mostly marginalized people, that just have not been brought to the public. And it's rediscovering, like, what are the stories here? What are the, what are the legacies here? And bringing them to the forefront and, you know, dispelling these overarching narratives of greatness, um, that are problematic because we just go along with them and we're not really willing to interrogate. Well, okay, but what, who are, who was on the other side? Let's recover that. And we have to point out those legacies if we want to build something that's more sustainable. And I feel like we're in this space of reckoning right now, like environmentally with all the flooding that you're seeing in BC, all the, the fires that have been happening lately, um, the wildfires and the pandemic and it's like it's time to kind of take stock of like what is not working here and how do we reformulate to take better care of our environment and the people um and our our cultural legacies yeah i was thinking about the the site where your your sculpture is in aiken place um, being so close to, you know, to the harbor and to all of the histories of of shipping and trade that would have been, um, you know, taking place there. Um, there's a site just down the way from from where from Aiken Place called Sugar Beach, right, which is right across from the sugar refinery. And you're like, what's a sugar refinery doing there? And where does it grow up in in mm-hmm. in Canada, right? So then, kind of like, oh, and how nice there's a public park there, which is great for people who live there. Of course, public parks are amazing, but like, you know, are those stories kind of being told, you know, or what's being lost? So just thinking through the the role of the work that you do in in making that kind of cultural narrative also happen alongside. I want to also ask um, kind of what, what, where do you go from here? Is the piece still there? Does it stay up? What happens next? So Olamina has currently moved um, because we need to make her more weather resistant so that, you know, in the future we can potentially have her outdoors in the winter. But the hope is for 
our girl to take a tour. <laughs> We're currently taking references to spaces, if you know of any, <laughs> um, that would like to have her. Keep in mind, she has a big head. <laughs> she can't fit everywhere. <laughs> I think it's very fitting, too, that she travels because just like Mommy Washa, she kind of pops up in, in different areas. So Olamina's you know, you're going to see her over here and over there and over here. And then eventually I hope we can take her across province as well. So the the goal is that she can take up space and that we can have uh, an ongoing conversation to tell these stories, to tell African stories, to tell Afro-Indigenous stories, and to also form this way of like placemaking for us to discuss what healing looks like. Beautiful. Continuing with the subject of placemaking, our next interview is with artist Jay Havens on his project, The Peacemaker's Canoe. Dylan sat down with Jay to discuss this public artwork, the story behind it, and the correct pronunciation of Toronto. And no, it is not Toronto. I'm here with Jay Havens. Jay, thank you so much for joining me on Don River Radio. And um, I think to start, why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what you do. Sure. Yeah. Pleasure to be here. Thanks. Um, so yeah, my name is Jay Havens. I'm a Ganyangehaga or Mohawk from the Six Nations of the Grand River. Um, that's where my mom's from. I was born in Brantford, which is just off the reserve. And um, I grew up around the Toronto area, kind of around Guelph and Acton and up in the Halton Hills area. Um, and then um, when I was a teenager, I moved out here to BC, where I'm currently located on the unceded Coast Salish territory of the um, Sumanus Nation, which is um, just north of the town of Shumanus, which is named for the, um, the people in the area. So, yeah, I come and go. I kind of work all over the place. I'm professionally trained as a set and costume designer, so I still do some some work in that medium. And uh, uh, since COVID, with the shutdown of all the theaters, a little bit before COVID too, um, I've been getting more and more into public artwork. Yeah, um, I was hoping that you could talk a little bit about the genesis of the Peacemakers Canoe and how you came to make this work for or on the uh, on the Toronto waterfront. So at the time, I was actually living in Santa Fe, New Mexico, with my husband. Um, he was working down there and I was attempting to make a go of it as an artist down there, but um, we were barely there for a few months before COVID hit. So yeah, I was online and I just started looking for new job opportunities. And one of the ones was this call from Waterfront Toronto, and they weren't necessarily looking for an Indigenous artwork, but being an Indigenous artist, I thought the Waterfront was a really perfect place to be telling some kind of narrative that would create some placemaking for Torontonians or, uh, you know, uh, Toronto is a, is a Haudenosaunee word. So we pronounce it Degarondo. So a lot of people will see it spelled uh, Tecaronto and they'll pronounce it as such, but it's actually pronounced Degarondo from my understanding. Yeah. So I, I, I thought, okay, well, this, this shoreline of Degarondo would be a place to tell a story from Haudenosaunee um, history and uh, the Peacemaker's Journey came to mind. There's a section in that really formative story from my nation that has to do with a boat. And it's it's the Peacemaker travels across from the northern side of Lake Ontario to the southern side um, in upstate New York. And I think they've done some studies and they, they believe the Peacemaker's story is from around 980 to about 1180, because there's a comet that's mentioned in the story that they can pinpoint that event. 
And uh, in in the version I was told, it was a Wendat warrior, and um, he was a peacemaker and someone who was taught traditional ways of understanding and healing. And uh, he thought that this was something that he could bring to other nations around the world. So he went to the south side of Lake Ontario, where he found the Haudenosaunee. And we were in um, a time of our history where we were having a lot of um, turmoil, internal fighting. At the time, we were separate nations. We were five separate nations. And so he saw these nations fighting amongst each other, even though we had shared aspects of our culture. And he essentially, to shorten the story, he, he goes from nation to nation and delivers this message of peace and the way of governing where everyone can have a say. And um, he forms our way of government, our law called the Great Law of Peace um, or the Guyana Ragoa. So uh, that's that's the short story of the peacemaker. Um, there's other characters in there. Jagon Sase is, uh, is um, someone who follows him and Hayawenta um, is another person. So there's these three diplomats that that really are pivotal to that story. And Jagon Sase is a woman who is, is our first clan mother in Haudenosaunee government system. Our, um, our clan mothers are very important. They have kind of the role of like a Supreme Court, I think. And they're also the people who appoint our elected chiefs. So the chief cannot even be elected by the people if they're not first nominated by a clan mother. So um, they hold a lot of power and are important. They're also, you know, heads of families and they run the family and, and this kinds of thing. We're a matriarchal society. So we receive our clan from our mother. So, yeah, so there's lots of layered teachings in there, as you can see. So what I did is I took that story and I represented just a portion of it. Um, the part where, where the peacemaker is in the boat, leaving the Northern shore and going towards New York. And the story says that it's a shining stone canoe. And so I kind of thought, well, we'll make a modern play on this. So we we took a canoe. We, what we did is I designed a canoe that was kind of angular and sort of geometric in, in pattern, like like on the outside. And it kind of looks like it's been cut like a diamond. Mm-hmm. And I kind of thought that if we covered it in mirrors, glass is made of sand, which is stone, ground down stone. So it still would be a stone canoe. It would be a shining stone canoe. So I sort of thought that was the original concept. We ended up not using glass because of safety and durability, things like this, but um, we made it from, from aluminum in the, in the end, it's uh, um, covered in aluminum tiles to give it the kind of shiny aspect. And I have heard from someone, they're like, well, aluminum is still derived from stone. It's still a metal that we take from the earth. So it is still a stone canoe in some respect. So I thought that was kind of funny. Um, the proportions of it are made so that it looks like a personal canoe, like so that there would be a, just one person in it. It's not one of those like long voyageur style canoes, because in the story, it's just the peacemaker who's in it. I didn't put a figure in there. In the concept phase, I thought it's best not to put the peacemaker in there because we're back in a time of turmoil with all sorts of things. We're disconnected again, which is the, how the story goes is the, that's when the pre- peacemaker arrived. So I thought putting a shiny surface on it acts like a mirror. So it's also our chance to look and see ourselves reflected in the canoe and consider, you know, who who are the peacemakers today and where are the peacemakers today? So there's no figure in the canoe. It's just an empty canoe that we had anchored to the floor of the basin where it was floating in the harbor. And we used four points to hold it in the water. And it, it just kind of stayed 
pointing towards New York. So it didn't really twist or turn the way a regular boat would with just one anchor. It was meant to sort of just bob in the water like it had just been mysteriously shoved off and was always facing in that one direction. I'm curious if in your research, you know, uh, or just coming to that story, which, you know, I've, I've heard or I've kind of encountered a couple of different ways. And, and what I loved about your, your piece was that it, it created this visual for, you know, which was totally not what I imagined a stone canoe would, would look like. I mean, one, it has this kind of like, uh, you know, very contemporary kind of, um, lines you know that the that the um that the alumina makes uh kind of at those angles um but I'm, I'm curious if you came across any kind of speculation or thinking around you know like what what's the importance of the stone canoe because there is something just already so powerful and poetic about this idea of something that should sink in water right yeah i mean the stone canoe is um it's really just the beginning of the story, but the shiny stone canoe is just something that's stuck in my mind. It's like it just came to me when I thought about putting that in the basin. Yeah. Well, I, I love how the project um, or how the piece really, um, you know, has so many layers and it's a very, it's, it kind of has a, a theatrical logic to it. So it's also yeah. really interesting to hear your background. And I was going to ask, um, this question came up in kind of other research I was doing, which was just like, you know, even the kind of designation of Lake Ontario as a lake felt like a kind of a, a settler colonial imposition on the body of water. And I was just very curious whether it was, you know, in in the kind of stories that maybe would, would have been handed down, like, you know, I mean, it's a huge body of water. Designating it as a lake feels like a way of kind of like enclosing it or encapsulating it. Yeah, from my understanding, Onadario or Ontario, I believe the meaning of it is the place of beautiful water or like the place where the water is shiny or something along this in a couple of different languages. And yeah, so I mean, the lake itself I, is in the story, it's mentioned, I think, as like the big water, like the large water. And it is that I mean, it, to go to Lake Ontario, it isn't a lake, it is just isn't it's it's a freshwater sea. And it's yeah, it's a it's a it's an inland sea for sure. It's um, a place to be respected. And it is such a place of wealth, you know, like with the Haudenosaunee clans, like we have an eel clan, because there's so many eels that traditionally would be in that that area. Uh, in fact, I think the Don River has its own eel population that they're trying to return uh, to naturalize again. Really interesting. I think the, um, you know, the other thought as I was reading more about your project was just how much the the other question that it kind of led me to was thinking about um, just the sort of like sovereign water rights issue. And so thinking about this, you know, kind of as a, as a site of activation, I'm curious whether you've had that kind of response from folks or maybe just more generally, like what, what has the response been to the piece and you know, have people reached out to you? Yeah. Yeah. I had a lot of different folks during when it was first presented in the summertime. I mean, I'm still getting people kind of responding, um, which is nice. Like the, the canoes featured in a, like an image of it on a children's album about the peacemaker. It's like this guy's written a song about the peacemaker for kids to learn about the story. And he says, Oh, can I use your image of the canoe as a on the album cover. And I said, Oh yeah, that's true. That sounds fine. So that that's kind of fun. And I had people messaging me who were actual kayakers and were drawn to it. And so they got, they were one of the few folks who got to look at it up close. And yeah, a lot of people were saying that it was just amazing to see. So where, uh, so where's the canoe now? 
The canoe now is actually stored in my friend's yard in Ancaster. You might see it again next summer where there's a couple of grants in to have it displayed in Quebec some places and also um, on Six Nations back on my res there. Um, and then there's a place I would love to take it. There's a museum down in uh, Syracuse, New York called the Scano Center. And it's actually on Lake Onondaga, which is where the peacemaker is said to have delivered his message of peace. Wow. I'm from Syracuse, actually, on the ancestral lands of the Onondaga Nation, and I hope to see the Peacemaker's Canoe at the Scano Center soon. Thank you for joining us to hear from both Jay Havens and Black Speculative Arts Movement Canada. I'm Sunita Prasad with Marielle Biram, and I will leave you with this final message from a caller on the Don River. Be gay, do crime, land back.